Welcome to the Ghostwriter and Pup Podcast, a little show about the creative conversations and stories that matter the most to today's up-and-coming writers, artists, innovators, and creators all around the world. I'm Jody Aberdeen. On today's episode, I speak with Zina Hanif, the founder of The Conscious Communicator based in uh, Toronto, Ontario. She is a she's the founder of um, of The Conscious Communicator, a coach and consultant and as a as along with a few of my recent guests on this podcast has been a graduate of the Avalon Empowerment um, personal growth company uh, based in uh, based north of Toronto. And we got into a fairly different conversation. Normally, when I speak to coaches, we talk about the limiting beliefs. We talk about the subconscious uh, aspects and, and, and substructures that you know affect our behavior and thus our success levels. We, we get a bit into that woo-woo stuff, um, usually. Here, though, uh, my conversation with Fizina led to something a little different. You see, she and I have a fairly, we have something in common in that we are, we can both trace our ancestry, our ancestries to the Caribbean. We are both the descendants of the indentured Indian workers that came over to the British colonies following the abolition of slavery in the 19th century. Now, this may seem a little out of scope or out of, you know, just out of the lane of personal growth and development. But we had, uh, in our previous call, you know, prior to this, when we were first uh, connected uh, by um, a former guest on this show, uh, Laura Slynn, she, uh, my, my, Fizina and I realized that there's a, uh, there are some patterns that are rooted in our history. And so it's a story that doesn't often get told, which naturally gets my attention here on this podcast. I, do like to examine the stories, the histories, and the perspectives that don't often get another uh, a second look from many people, and uh, you know where we you don't even know they exist until you give them some attention. So there is a conversation in and around your own culture and ethnicity, and how that impacts your level of success as a creative individual. You see, so uh, as a bit of basic background, in the 1800s, following the abolition of African slavery in the British Empire, the, the British nonetheless had to find workers to continue to work in the cane fields and in the, uh, the different uh, agricultural plantations that uh, existed throughout their colonies, especially in the West Indies and the Caribbean. What they found was that there were communities. They tried. They tried different. They tried to bring in colonists, or at least indentured workers, from different colonies. So from from all over the world uh, on contracts. It was not slavery because there was a promise of payment. The idea being that you relocate for a certain amount of time, usually in a twenty-five year or twenty-year increment. And you go to the new land and you work, essentially doing work that was identical uh, in many ways to the backbreaking labor that the black slaves had had to endure for uh, the time uh, during, the, during the, the slavery era. 
However, because of the promise of payment, it was considered work. And so the payment would come in the form of uh, uh, passage and money and land back to your, your, your country of origin, back to the other colony that the British had taken, or uh, land and money in the new colony that you had just spent the last 20 years working. And that was essentially it. What they found was the there was a there were communities of people in the indian subcontinent under british control that were already working the types of crops that they needed to cultivate in the caribbean and so they became ideal replacement workers for the slaves in the eyes of the british so that's where i trace my ancestry from I am the descendant of some of those workers who came to Trinidad and Tobago in the 1800s. And Fazina similarly had, has ancestry with, um, with that same community uh, in, uh, in the country of Guyana, where there were, there was, which was also a British colony. So what does this have to do with anything related to coaching and limited beliefs? Well, you're about to find out. As, uh, as Fazina explains, there is a field of study called epigenetics, and the notion is that m many of the inherited beliefs, the inherited limiting beliefs in particular, can be rooted in trauma that was caused, that was inflicted upon our ancestors, that our ancestors experienced, which then get passed on to us in ways that uh, the you know mainstream science has yet to confirm, but which seems to be pointing to already through our DNA, through our genes. So a lot of our beliefs may not even be ours. It was just a fascinating topic. I don't presume to know anything about it beyond that. But we talked at length, uh, Fazina and I, about this, how this will not only, how does it work, as well as the, the issues regarding race and culture and identity that we run into today, especially in the if you're an immigrant or a refugee to a first world country like Canada or the United States or the United Kingdom. But also just how do we distinct how we can overcome that. Now we we didn't spend a lot of time on the how to overcome it because the overcoming is fairly it's a fairly simple formula from what I can tell. Once you can distinguish the limiting belief, it ceases to be operational in your consciousness, which gives you a chance to make a new choice. It's a little bit like waking up in a dream and realizing that you're dreaming. At that point, you can cancel out a nightmare or you can create something different than where you were otherwise going. In other words, it's a matter of becoming more conscious. And who better to have that type of conversation than the conscious communicator? Fazina Hanif is the founder of The Conscious Communicator. She's a certified professional coach, communications expert, consultant, and speaker based in the Toronto area. According to her website, theconsciouscommunicator.ca, she helps people and businesses turn the traditional way they look at communication upside down and shows them how to build a rock-solid foundation for excellent communication from the inside out. 
Fazina earned her honors BA in economics and communication studies and then went on to further studies with a postgraduate certificate in corporate communications. And on top of that, she studied coaching and became certified through an intensive training program led by the Institute of Professional Excellence in Coaching. And she is a certified neurolinguistic programming or NLP practitioner and coach, timeline therapy practitioner and hypnotherapist trained by Avalon Empowerment. Again, you could learn more about Fazina at her website, theconsciouscommunicator.ca. Fazina, thank you so much for uh, for joining me today and for chatting with me. Um, second, I, second time around. Yes, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Jody, for this opportunity. It was a great conversation last time, so looking forward to this uh, even more. Yeah, it went in a lot of interesting directions. And, and what, it, what I think is very cool about it is that I think you're the one, two, three, you're, you might be the fourth Avalon graduate uh, that I've spoken to, but the, you're, you bring your own unique perspectives um, into a lot of that work, right? As uh, somebody of a, you know, who comes from the Caribbean, who has, a, who has that particular ancestry, right? Yes. Um, and when you and I were just chatting, it just ended up in this really like you don't hear this type of conversation all the time (laughs) (laughs) where you connect, you connect the spiritual aspects, the epigenetic aspects to modern day things. And it is ethnicity specific. There's a, there's a genetic component to it. Um, And so I I just thought that was very cool that we ended up there. So just a little bit, could you share a bit about your own kind of, you know, journey up until this point? Um, So my journey up until this point, um, it's been quite the journey and of course it continues. Um, But uh, yes, I am from the Avalon community. I I feel very blessed to be part of that community of um, really um, conscious thinkers and people who are doing some really great things um, for their specific um, audiences that they serve. And for me, finding Avalon was actually a turning point for me. Um, because it really helped me to work through some, some experiences and childhood traumas that were, were, um, impacting my life. And I didn't even realize that they were. Um, and so, you know, doing that training to work through that piece of, of my own journey, but also gaining tools, um, through NLP, timeline therapy, hypnotherapy were also very, um, perfect for the type of work that I do um, as, a, as a communications coach, a conscious communications coach. Um, and so the journey has been really awesome because I didn't expect that it would bring me to this place today where I'm diving into the whole piece of cultural upbringing and um, the ancestral um, background and how that, you know, like forms who we are today, especially as an entrepreneur and a woman of color, um, navigating the world of, of building a business and becoming a thought leader. Um, so it, it's been a really cool journey that, like I said, continues, but, um, you know, it's leading me to have these kinds of really cool conversations like, like we had uh, a couple weeks ago and um, to continue like we are today. Yeah, it's it's just so interesting too because uh, you, you don't expect. I mean, you go you look at any a lot of the personal development, you know, um, industry, and it is predominantly people who don't look like you and me, right? And 
to see us there. Um, like usually, if there's somebody who with with our complexion, uh, sorry, with our complexion, uh, with our you know sort of, uh, I mean, you're from your family's from Guyana, right? Yes. And, you know, my family's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I was born in Trinidad and raised here and the shared kind of uh, servitude mentality, right? Yes. And that, that legacy of, of being an indentured servant uh, would, you know, I, I think Anthony Bourdain described it in one of his shows as slavery by another name. Right. Um, it, you know, he, it, it's, it affects who you are today. And so when you go to these personal growth things, it's like, it's like either like I find them, I don't know. Do you find that you're a misfit? Like I find sometimes that I kind of stand out just because I'm not kind of, I don't look like everybody else and I don't think they expect me to be there. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And you know, so it's been interesting because a lot of this, this um, particular piece of the ancestral and looking into the impact of the indentured servant, uh, the servant um, mentality has been a fairly new thing for me. So I would say in the last six months or so, I've really become um, aware of this experience. And um, I agree with you. I've always sort of felt like, wait a minute, I'm like the only one here. Um, I didn't necessarily feel like I didn't belong, um, but I think maybe something deeper inside of me was questioning like, huh, what's really going on here? Um, and mm -hmm. so, you know, I, since, you know, starting to really dive into this piece over the last six months, I have found it really difficult at times to be in certain rooms. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like, um, it's a room for me. Um, and, 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 and I don't think at all that it's intentional by anyone. So let's get that really clear. Um, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's not that anyone is being, um, intentionally, um, excluding or not creating a space that's welcoming. It's just that I think in, in our society, and it's a conversation that's happening more and more, is there are a lot of unconscious biases that exist. Um, and we talk about the system, you know, the system, we, you know, we hear about the system all the time and everyone's got a different take on the system, but you know, it, it, it does at times feel like the system isn't one that is created for people like me and you to thrive in. Um, and that's not trying to be critical of anyone or saying it's intentional, like I said, but it's an opportunity to maybe say, oh, interesting. Um, that's your experience. Tell me more about that so we can dive into mm -hmm. it a bit more and try to figure out what people like me and you might be feeling, why we might be feeling that, so that we can create spaces that feel more safe and inclusive. Um, mm -hmm. I, you and, know, sorry, yeah. uh, that, that oh. word inclusive and diversity um, I was reflecting on it the other day and, you know, inclusive and being inclusive and, and diverse, they, they sort of become buzzwords. And, mm -hmm. um, and the question for me really is about, you know, if, if we're talking about diversity and being inclusive, you know, it's great to have other people rep or their different representation as part of a team or an organization or whatever it is you have. Um, but you know, is the system one that is created to help those people thrive or are we just filling a quota? And um, I think those are conversations that we need to have so that we can create more spaces that feel inclusive, not just look like they are. Yeah, and, and that don't just pay lip service to the concept, right? Right. And uh, it's interesting, like when the, the term inclusive, who is saying it, right? 
Mm-hmm. It's like uh, the the person and their backgrounds and their experiences and whatever privileges they have, right? Right. It's like they have the privilege and the power to decide who is included. Yes. And that's and that's something that I think is well, we want to be inclusive, which presumes that you create, you have the space, you own the space, you're defining the space, and you know, in the first place. Right. Um, I was thinking you know, talking about seminars and whatnot, um, it wasn't quite a seminar, but I, uh, it was, it was like a, it was a spiritual setting. It was a yoga class. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you and I may have talked about this in our conversation a few weeks ago. I was at a yoga, a hot yoga class, um, a few weeks ago in Burlington. And I was the only person of, you know, remotely of Indian ancestry in the room. And I thought, you know, my ancestors, at some point, my ancestors were probably yogis. Right. And I thought, and what was interesting is that, you know, the, the yoga instructor, you know, you know, sort of early 30 something, you know, Caucasian girl, very nice. She just, and she started off by when we were sitting in, in like the start, the beginning meditation saying that she just came back from a retreat in Thailand and she's been studying all these methods and she's, you know, they're using the words and such. Right. But of course, I'm not exactly the most flexible person. So I was struggling. It had been a while since I've been in the class. And so there's one point where I, I don't know the, what the movements are called, right? But there's one where you have to balance on one foot. And she kind of, she was being very gentle. And again, it's the same thing. You're right. We're not being, I'm not being confrontational, right? We're just pointing it out, right? Right. Um, she was, when she walked past, especially the men who were struggling, um, she would kind of giggle a bit and she said, I'm not laughing at you. I'm just expressing, you know, it, it's just, it's delightful to see you trying. And I understand it's not for everybody. And, and I'm glad that you're here, which is great. I love that. Right. Yeah. Nonetheless, there, when she walked past me and did the same thing, right. You know, I wasn't offended, but it, the thought that occurred to me, it's like, you know, this, this 30 something girl of, you know, I'm assuming based on her last name of Scottish ancestry, or Irish ancestry was like, you know, she's giggling at me. It's just like, have I disgraced my ancestors? <laughs> you know, it's like, geez, I'm the only brown guy here and I can't hold the position. You know? Right. And, you know, and then, and then it brings up all these other issues that, that are related to representation and inclusivity. It's like, um, I'm, uh, I'm a coconut. That's the term that uh, people had labeled me with because I was raised here. And, uh, got drawn into what they call the mainstream white culture. So essentially I, you know, I got into science fiction. I watched hockey, right. Um, all of these things. And, you know, the idea being that I'm brown on the outside, but white on the inside, am I represent, am, am I a good ambassador for people in my background? And, you know, this is a little bit off topic from the spiritual dimension, which I really do want to get into because it, it, it impacts a lot. Right. Right. Um, but uh, who represents, who's doing the representing too within our communities? You know what? That's a great, um, a great segue into looking at, you know, the fact that um, for us are, you know, our, I know for me, I believe it's the same for you, but um, my ancestors are from India and mm-hmm. um, before they came over as indentured servants and, um, and you're right. It's like when you think about that experience you had with the, um, the yoga instructor and, and just that feeling about, um, you know, am I a good representation? Um, you know, that journey from, from India to Guyana or Trinidad or whatever country it is, 
Mm -hmm. um, there's a disconnect that happens as well with, um, you know, that, that country that you're originally from. Um, and so over time, you know, we lose, we lose that piece of our identity um, with respect to language, um, with ancestral ways, with customs, with um, just the way that we might interact with each other. And so, you know, some generations later, we find ourselves here in Canada, whether we've been born here or we came here at a young age and we've grown up in Canadian society. Um, when we're, you know, put in those situations, yeah, it, it kind of brings up that other aspect of that disconnection that happened when that first migration took place, um, let alone that other uh, migration from, you know, uh, Trinidad or Guyana to Canada. Um, so you, it, it brings up a lot of stuff, which I think also goes into the, the spiritual aspects of it as well. Mm -hmm. and, and so let's, let's shift into that. Um, so, uh, you we had talked about and i'm trying to uh, i'll let you recreate it but I'll, I'll start us off right the the experience there's a there's a multi-generational legacy in our dna in our genetics that you know that's left over from basically being invaded first of all right by a for, by by a, a you know european power in this case the british yeah and then being subjugated under their rule um and then being told okay well we're come and work the land on this island across the ocean for 20 years and we'll give you either money and passage back or you can we'll give you land in the new country and you can just stay there right um and you spend your time you, you know you get on the boat you travel over there. You, you you probably meet someone along the way. You have a family, but you're working the land with the with the the colonial the imperial powers as your you know as your as your masters, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're paying you, but the labor is essentially not that different from slavery, right? right. The way the way that they, they you're not exactly a high status person, right? Yeah. Uh, during, well, during the time that you're there, but then you finish your you finish your contract but you spent 20 years of backbreaking labor. What else do you know? And then, you know, you're, you know, you, that's the, that's the starting point. And then of, of this, of this iteration anyway, right. Of, uh, of the experience, then centuries, you know, not centuries, but like, you know, decades later, your, your descendants come to Canada uh, in the 20, you know, the, the, the latter half of the 20, 20th century, early 21st, and they decide they want to become entrepreneurs, for example. Yes. Suddenly, there's, a, there's tons of you, resistance that you can't quite put your finger on it. Mm -hmm. And what you and I talked about, and I want to get into this, right, was it has to do with that ancestral legacy. And yeah. we don't even know it, right? The working a job is the, is the preferred way to go about it because it's secure. But it, the job is patterned after, is you know, it, it's it's very close to the model of uh, indentured servitude. Mm -hmm. um, could you talk a bit about um, about that, like uh, what you found in in terms of that inquiry? Wow, so there's so much there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I mean, I could speak more from my my own perspective and sort of. Um, you know, the Guyanese perspective and, of course, of course. Um, and just, you know, sort of how, 
this all came to fruition for me and, and it'll dovetail into the whole entrepreneurial piece and, and today. Yes, please. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you talk about the spiritual, um, I'm going to talk about synchronicity a little bit because that's such a, a really cool term. And um, I found that the more work that I, I, I've done, especially through the Avalon community, um, a lot of synchronicity has sort of come up in my life. And I've seen that as um, the validation that I'm on the right path <laughs> um, and, and, and finding the next thing that, that needs to be looked at. It's sort of like a, a treasure hunt. And um, you, know, you, you follow the path and, and you find the next piece of gold um, that leaves you on the journey. And so, um, you know, this, this inquiry for me really started with, um, you know, I, I was uh, um, a, a devoted nine to fiver up until uh, 2015. And um, when I left my job, it was actually with the, in the public service. So that was a really big thing to leave. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I started the business a year after that. And um, I don't think anything will really stretch you as much as you know, being an entrepreneur. It'll make you look at pretty much everything um, uh, internally. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and can I interject for the readers, uh, sorry, the yeah. listeners rather, um, if you're listening to this, to get a public service job in Canada <laughs> is often regarded as winning the lottery because you have a strong public service union benefits for a lifetime pensions right and you know it's it's considered like you know the holy grail of jobs for a lot of people so giving that up is a big deal yes and yeah. it scared the hell out of me um yeah. but i also knew intuitively it was time to to leave that behind um so going through that entrepreneurial journey and um recognizing obviously um you know we hear all the stats it takes you know the years to become profitable and all of that type of stuff. But when you're going through a whole personal development journey, you really start to look at your belief systems, um, especially the ones you have with self-worth and money. Um, and um, just, you know, really believing in yourself and your vision for this life that you want to create. Um, and so, you know, it's been, it's been a couple of years on that entrepreneurial journey, but where um, the whole piece about the indentured servitude um, legacy came up for me was really asking myself about um, the flow of money that comes into my life. And uh, when I worked that nine to five job with the government, it was really easy to make money um, because mm -hmm. it's flowing in every two weeks. Mm -hmm. It was a pretty damn um, good job in terms of salary and benefits and all of that. Um, but why is it more of a challenge as an entrepreneur, even though I've been doing all of this work in terms of personal development? Um, and so you know, I, I sort of got led to ask this question about the ancestral experience of the indentured servant through watching, of all things, a TV show Outlander, um, mm -hmm. and where they actually mentioned the term, and it just sparked some kind of feeling in me to do some research. And as I did more research, um, I started asking myself, well, indentured servitude, you know, the parents only talk about it so much, but they haven't really gotten into the roots of this. And as I dug deeper, what I learned was, um, in the particular example of the Guyanese experience, um, the indentured servants that first came to Guyana were replacements for slaves. This happened in the 1834. And the father of indentured servitude in Guyana was uh, John Gladstone, um, 
who basically had the largest slave plantations in both Guyana and Jamaica. So mm. he brought over the first set of indentured servants to Guyana and um, they were slave replacements. And so when you say, um, you know, that, that quote by Anthony Bourdain about, you know, indentured servitude to slavery by another name, that's exactly what um, the experience was being documented as was these people were being just called indentured servants, but they were actually doing slave work. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, weren't actually paid what they were supposed to be paid. And for a couple of years, the flow of indentured servants to Guyana had actually stopped because um, there was there was some um, rebellion over the conditions that these people were working in. Um, and so, my question then became like epigenetically. Um, you know, when we talk about epigenetics, it's having our ancestors' experiences, um, all our experiences get embedded in our DNA, but having our ancestors' experiences be passed on from generation to generation. And so in this day and age, in 2020, what are those pieces epigenetically that I continue to hold from the indentured servant experience? Um, and so for me, it was looking at the fact that when I worked for the government or any employer, really, I, you know, money came in because my belief system from an epigenetic standpoint would have been money comes in when I'm owned by someone else. Mm. Um, yes. And, and I use that word. I'm not saying that, that the employers would own us, but just from an epigenetic standpoint and, um, the body remembers that experience and that's the only way that money can be made. Whereas, you know, coming out here now as um, the woman, a woman of color, starting her own business, um, you know, wanting to make a mark with, with, you know, my own entrepreneurial journey, I'm not necessarily set up from an epigenetic standpoint to achieve success in that way because I've got this other programming um, that, that's still running. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was very enlightening to start seeing how, um, that legacy of servitude had been, um, so, so prevalent through the experience, whether it was, you know, feeling like I needed to give my services away for free, um, or at a very uh, deep discount to, Mm. to get to, you know, to just get business. Um, or, you know, not necessarily coming out with a price. I know my service is worth, um, because I, I'm not predisposed to that, um, from that spiritual standpoint. Yeah. Uh, let's jump into that. I mean, uh, if you're coming like the, the sense of value, I feel that, you know, I, I definitely relate to that. And I, and I do want to point out um, to the listeners again, right, that we're talking about, you know, you know uh, we're talking about a particular experience, right? If you, even if you didn't go through something like this, you may still have some of the same limiting beliefs. It's just that there is a strong, you know, as, as Fazina has just said, there's a strong, um, you know, likelihood that this ancestral experience is the particular cause of our iteration of these types of limiting beliefs. Would that be correct in, in me saying that? Yes, totally. Um, and yeah. of course, we all have our own stories from whatever background we come from. So, yeah. you know, this is just speaking from the indentured servitude perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everyone else, you know, it, it, it's worthwhile kind of looking through your own ancestry to see what kinds of things have of an impact today. 
Yeah, and and I want to and I want to get back then to this idea of value, and so that is one of the big struggles uh, for any entrepreneur, anyone leaving the the safety and comfort of the nine to five, is you want money, you're not quite sure how to get it when you're not, as you said, you know, not you know not necessarily owned, but at least employed by a corporation or by uh, by the government, and so the temptation is to lower your price, but that's a symptom of the devalue of devalue devaluing yourself. Right. Right. And what you can do. And there's this, uh, you know, if, if using that uh, indentured servant or service, uh, you know, mentality, right. That context, like how valuable could you be? I mean, with, with, you know, using slavery by another name, you know, as well, it's like, if something were to happen to you, the, the British would just find somebody else. Mm-hmm. Right. So how valuable could you possibly be as a human? Right. And that echoes in the body, in the genes, in the DNA down to this generation where suddenly you're, you know, you're in a better living condition. It's modern times. Right. And you're cutting your pricing back. You may not even recognize that that's the reason why you're doing it. Yes. You know, it's, it's just, it's so interesting. Well, and, 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 how, and how do you, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, just even on that point, um, from the research that I, I had done through this um, in the fall, it was really looking at, um, so when, when the indentured servants came came over to Guyana, they were actually ranked lower than newly freed slaves in terms of, of societal status. Um, Why was then, that? Pardon? Why was that? I'm curious. Did you find out? Um, I, I think it was because slavery had become abolished. So, um, you know, people who own slaves anymore, so they, they were being um, integrated in society. Um, and I say that very loosely because I'm pretty sure, you know, that experience was very unpleasant mm-hmm. um, and not, not to what we would expect um, today, obviously. And so um, what the indentured servants came in to actually replace the work of the slaves and they were um, newly freed slaves and newly freed slaves often were put in charge of the um, indentured servants who came in because they understood how the work needed to get done, um, uh, you know, on the plantations and whatnot. So uh, I think that was part of part of why they were ranked higher um, and why indentured servants were ranked lower. Um, and then if you're looking at the indentured servants from male and female, the women were ranked even lower than the males. So right. they were like the lowest of the low mm-hmm. in, terms of, in terms of value and worth. Right. Huh. Okay. And um, you, you were going somewhere with that, actually. Um, yeah. So all of that comes into play and then you, know, you don't quite realize where it came from. And that's what's active. How did you, right. um, and so when, when you distinguish that, how do you overcome it? Or how do you neutralize that tendency or that, that, that old belief? Well, it's, um, a lot of it is just, is really looking at, well, how. Sorry, Fazina, are you there? My own. So. Um, looking at my mom or looking at my grandmother or mm-hmm. just listening to stories from. Am I rambling or am I okay? Oh no, you're doing great. And so um, just uh, we're, we're back. We had, we had a little internet 
connectivity issues there. So um, yes. sorry, sorry, Fazina. What was the last thing that you said? Uh, let's let's pick up from there. Um, that's what I'm trying to remember now. That's right. Um, um, family. <laughs> you were, you said you noticed some patterns. Oh in your yes, family. yes. Yeah. Looking at uh, the patterns that um, you know that that have been a part of you know the women in my family generationally, um, and so looking at things like you know speaking up for yourself, for example. Um, expressing needs, expressing feelings, um, you know, putting yourself out there because you've got a gift that you want to share, um, and recognizing that that wasn't done at all, or, or it was done very, very, you know, little um, in my family, and um, recognizing that I don't have those models for myself to to see how to do that, and so a lot of this is, you know, recognizing those patterns and um, choosing to change them um, and um, you know, putting myself out there in terms of an entrepreneur and the work that I'm doing is gonna feel uncomfortable because it hasn't really been something that I've seen been done before um, from the women in my family. So, um, I mean, it's a work in progress. Um, being part of a community like Avalon, for example, helps because we've got tools um, and resources to, to work through limiting beliefs and um, to create new patterns and um, to shed those old ones and, and, and bring about change. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to, there's, a, there's another topic that I don't think we talked about, but uh, it, it sort of came up in my head, right? Okay. So, and, and it is, I'm we're going back to that indenture that's that servant mentality again right just for a little bit there's this concept of selling out that right. i think is a particular concern in, in you know in the you know, anyone with caribbean ancestry and in particular you know either slavery or you know servant ancestry um this idea that uh, you, you can't get too big right? right you can't get too successful Otherwise, you become part of the management, and you don't want to do that, right? It's the you know the for for those who are in slavery, it's like the house slave mentality, right? right. You don't want to be that. You don't want to be the slave owner's butler, right? Mm -hmm. Or and you don't want to become a master yourself. And it, it's that gets into that get I, I find you know it does get into the conversation quite a bit when you talk to people who are who who have that ancestry who come from that type of culture. So it's like you get, if you're successful, it's great, but now you've sold out somehow. Yes. Um, yeah. Why don't we talk, could you talk a little bit about that? Is that, is that something that you found too, is connected to this whole experience? Uh, yeah, I, I, I have experienced that myself in terms of, you know, um, sort of if you shift too much, like you betray the culture or you're not really going to be one of us. Um, mm -hmm. Even that whole concept of the coconut is, yeah um that like you're not really one of us like you just you, you want to be white essentially and mm -hmm. it's like i don't I, I never i don't really understand that <laughs> yeah. i never really understood it because you know to me um we're we have opportunities like that's why we're here and, yeah but do you think the people who are saying that understand it i don't think they do no um, they, they they probably have this reaction they don't realize that this is once again a legacy of, of servitude absolutely they, and they, I, they I just think, internalized i think the other thing too is like we can't force on people what they're not ready to hear so you know um i mean you know i i recognize and i respect where everyone is on their own journey 
um, and I can share my own experience and educate. But at the end of the day, you know, if they still, you know, choose to call me a coconut or say I'm betraying, um, you know, the culture, that's really a reflection of where they're at in their own journey. Um, and they may never choose to, to recognize that that's actually um, reinforcing that legacy of sort of two rather than, you know, taking the opportunity to say, huh, wait a minute, like, why am I calling this person that? Or why do I see it that way? Um, and how am I still perpetuating that legacy rather than um, looking at it from a different standpoint and seeing how I can, I can shift the way I think. Yeah. And th there's a, especially as a man, right, um, going into a field like creative writing, um, and there's some, there's definitely some intersectional concerns here, right? <laughs> Where, right. you know, the assumption is, oh, Jody must be gay, right? right? Or something like that. And it's like, it's like, no, I'm, I'm a sci head as, a, as, a, as they come, right? But right. because suddenly I'm, di I'm diverging away from the manly trades, right? Yeah. Or, or, or associated with being with being a man, it's like suddenly uh, I'm I'm no longer in there. And it's like I don't meet their def their rigid definition of gender, their rigid definition of uh, what I'm supposed to be doing, all based on a structure that was imposed on our ancestors in the first place. Right. It's nuts. It is. <laughs> you know? Yes. Oh, and, it's just yeah. And and I guess for the people who who will who will you know label you because of of your choice of 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 how you want to be in terms of, of your of your career and all of that are the ones like we talked about who don't understand that this is about the legacy of servitude. So, um, you know, it's um, it's it's a it's a really interesting um line to walk because, you know, we're we're sort of um creating a new path um, where we didn't have those examples in front of us. And so, you know, as we continue to forge that path forward, um, there will be the people in the background that have labels, um, you know, whether it's, you know, you're a disruptor or you're falling out of line or, you know, you are, you, you know, they question your, your sexuality or whatever it would be. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting path to walk. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so bringing this back then to, you know, you know, today, right, uh, with the challenges that we face in 2020, altogether now, not just not just, you know, certain segments of the population, but all of us collectively, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you and I had talked about the tremendous waves of transformation that are happening currently in the world energetically, and, uh, you know, in society that we're seeing everywhere we look, right? Yeah. Um, what is your take on, I guess, you know, we're one, let me, I know this is, this is me doing a broad opening and then, you know, not, not sure where to start, but let's, let's talk about then, you know, all of the changes related to, you know, uh, with race relations, for example, happening today, right? The pushback from, uh, more kind of conservative, xenophobic elements right the sort of creeping racism overt racism is coming back right um from your standpoint as both uh, of you know as both somebody uh, of eth you know of ethnicity and uh given your work your spiritual work what are what are some thoughts that you've had on that what's 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 behind all of this well i think that more people are waking up spiritually um and recognizing that 
um, you know, we, we live in a, in a system that is not um, inclusive. It is not built for everyone to succeed in. Um, I think that there are more of us who are feeling empowered to speak up and share what our experiences are. Um, and, you know, that, that's a group of people who've been very vocal and who've been very vulnerable in sharing, um, you know, what, what we've experienced today and for, for, for decades in some cases. And, um, you know, we've, we've got a political landscape that's very uh, polarized and we've got others who are really fighting for a system that, you know, they've really thrived in and there, there's fear of that ending instead of, you know, maybe recognizing that um, expanding the way we think about how we do things could actually help us all, um, you know, live in a more harmonized and equitable society. That was a very broad answer, but yeah. well, um, I think, I think at the heart of it, and I've given this a lot of thought is, Survival um, and survival of belief systems, survival of, you know, um, I think, you know, we, we live in a very intellectualized society, but at the end of the day, we're all biological creatures and we have biological reactions and survival is one of those. And when we feel like, um, you know, that survival is threatened, um, people get really um, hunkered down in their, in fighting for what they believe to be right. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's sort of like recognizing that there's a biological component of that survival being triggered. Um, and then looking at, well, how do we help people to understand that, you know, you're not, you're not going anywhere, but things are changing. Yeah. Um, I think about the, this, you know, using, the um the inter the 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 stigma on interracial relationships for example comes to mind right mm -hmm. and um i'm speaking now for actually let me let me be very careful because i i don't want to be a hypocrite right as we as we've been very, very careful with our language right mm -hmm. the notion that people who were the slave owners who were predominantly caucasian right um the the one of the things that they feared the the big scare that came around especially in the united states right was that once the slaves were freed the black men would come for the white women mm -hmm. right and there's that whole kind of uh the, the, you know there's no racial mixing the segregation laws afterward right and i think that's another that's on that's another kind of thing that's trickling down i think that that kind of fear that suddenly the people who don't look like you who were under your power are now shoulder to shoulder with you right Right. Um, there's a concern that, and it's it's kind of interesting too. It's like you have the you, you have the folks who were colonized, who ancestors were colonizers, uh, who who displaced indigenous peoples, now afraid of people like you and me who came from somewhere else. Right. Right. Um, there's a big fear that what was it's like karma almost. It's like they're afraid that what was what they what their ancestors had done to somebody else. Now they, the descendants, will have that done unto them. Right. Right, that seems to be an underlying narrative. Um, do you think that that's is that all? Could that also be connected to their own genetic experiences? I think a lot of it is actually that, like, it, it's the what's embedded in the unconscious, right? Um, yeah. You know, 
I don't, I don't believe that people go out with the intentions of just being horrible when, mm-hmm. you know, you see these different debates that are taking place, but I think that they, like, we're, we're all being, um, influenced by what is stored in our, in our unconscious, um, and, and a lot of that does, you know, trickle down from generations past. Um, so, I mean, I can't definitively say yes, obviously, but, right, yeah. um, you know, from my own experience, um, that is, that is, you know, what, what I see it as, as, um, how it's being manifested. Yeah. It's like a lot of things are coming home to roost and especially, you know, within communities and within individuals who within that system were generally an underclass, right. Or right. second or second class at best now starting to realize that they got power. They got stories that are worth hearing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, what role do you think storytelling has in all of this, in, in this whole process, right? This, this, these great spiritual changes. Storytelling is just so powerful um, because it brings to life um, people's experiences. It humanizes um, you know, what, what people have been going through. I find that sharing creates connection and understanding. And I think, um, you know, with storytelling, there's an opportunity to really express impact without pointing fingers or labeling, um, but just really sharing what, what um, an experience has meant whether it's to the individual or a community or a culture, or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. And you're right. Like there's that indirect impact. It's, it's subtle where, yeah. you know, where you don't get your backup. If you, right. if you, if you see yourself playing the role of the oppressor in that type of story. Right. Um, it, it would, you would like, you would be more likely to, explore that part of yourself if it's not taken as a, an accusation. Right. Right. And so that's, that's something interesting. Um, I don't know if you, um, if you know the actress and the writer, uh, uh, Britt Marling, have you, have you heard of her? No, I don't. Okay. So Britt Marling, she's a filmmaker and an actor and she, she, uh, she's been in, in shows like the OA on Netflix, which is like exploring these boundaries of, you know, science, spirituality, it's, it's pretty amazing stuff, right? Mythology. She wrote an, an article called that, you know, a, an op-ed in the um, New York Times called, I don't want to be the strong female lead, right? Mm-hmm. In, that, in that article, she talked about how this, the very structures of storytelling are themselves shaped by those same power dynamics we just talked about, right? Right. The system itself the, the, the same powers that design the current system also design the way that we tell stories. Right. Right. Um, it, it's just, it's just kind of interesting. I mean, is storytelling different from culture to culture? Maybe even the way that we tell those stories can be, can be liberating that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got, I, I just think that's, that's very curious. And so, um, we're getting we're getting close to time actually i just realized um so is there anything that's sort of come up for you in in this inquiry that we haven't covered that you you think was worth sharing um with the audience like what's what's something right now that preoccupies you 
um, in this um, in this whole inquiry. Well, you know, it's it's funny when you you brought up the word oppressor um, just now, and I think it's also looking at not just um, you know being being on the side that you know hasn't you know, felt welcomed and and um, benefited from the system, but also recognizing when we hold on to um, the aspects of when we are being the colonizer as well, right? Like there's, you know, everything's got a shadow side to it too. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, looking at how am I perpetuating this experience as well for other people, for example. Um, so I think that was a flip side we haven't necessarily talked about. Mm. Um, so really exploring it from the whole perspective and not just the one perspective. Um, you know, we, we talk about privilege a lot, but privilege, you know, it's not just about race, it's also about class, it's about, um, you know, it's, 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 it's gender, yeah. it's all these other things, right? Like, yeah. and so how, how are we um, looking at, you know, when we are acting like a privileged as well? Um, and, and maybe imposing that on someone else or, you know, a specific group. And I think that's really important as well, because if we're not looking at that other side of it, we're actually still in conflict um, with how we're showing up in the world. And um, I think that's a really important piece to, to not forget. Uh, definitely. And do you, in your own coaching and in your own, you know, uh, in your own business, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have these types of conversations with your clients sometimes? Is that, does that ever come up in your work? I do sometimes actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, what I do is, it, you know, it really depends because for me, it's all about entering the client's model of the world. Um, Sorry, enter, entering the? The client's model of the world. Right. Um, okay. And so using language that makes sense for them um, or examples that make sense for them. It's, it, I mean, it's not about me. So, um, but if they come into um, my office and they have something that is you know, along, along these lines, it's really having the conversation with them or, or, or coaching them in a direction that uses language and um, examples that will make sense for them so that they can you know, move forward on the, on the piece that they're working through. Um, so yeah, I mean, sometimes it does come up, but I, I don't think we get into to, to this detail. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, but wouldn't it be interesting if you did, if you ran into somebody, you know, I, I used to work, um, I spent eight years of my working life, the first eight years working in a warehouse, right? Right. And and in, and in, as you know, like in, in Brampton, Mississauga, all the air, all the suburbs around the GTA, the, you know, greater Toronto area, you've got warehouses and distribution centers like crazy. That's where all the immigrants go to work a lot of the time, right? Yeah. And so it was just kind of funny that, uh, you know, I had... Uh, I ran into a lot of this type of mentality. It's very similar. There's the structure of a, uh, of any type of workplace like that is it's, it's very similar to a plantation, right? Yes. You know, you're harvesting, you're picking, you're, you're, you're stacking, even some of the language of the terms comes from that. Right. Right. And so, um, it's, I would, uh, there's a lot of those guys that went on, you know, those, those people that went on to, uh, to different careers, some in management, others doing the entrepreneurial thing like we're doing, and I wonder, you know, if they've, they've carried that mentality with them into their businesses, right? And it's sabotaging them in ways they don't even know. So I'm, I'm almost positive you're going to run into this type of thing sooner or later with one of your yes. clients. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
Um, there, you know, there are there are some people who I'm I'm working on collaborations with, so they're not clients necessarily, but we might be collaborating on um, workshops or speaking engagements, um, things like that, where we're sharing a lot of this. And and when when I'm meeting those people who um, who who might be collaborators, they're definitely like, oh my god, I didn't really think about that, but that's so true. And then here's my experience, and then we start having this kind of conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not a small conversation. It, it, when when you and I had talked about this, it, I've been, it's shifted my paradigm quite a bit. This is pretty uh, just, awesome. Just looking at these things, right? Like stepping into power. Yes. Power that was previously held by people that you didn't want to be because they were so cruel to you, right? At some point, right? You know, uh, like further down the line in the past, and so, uh, but if you own that now, if you you, you can't do anything in your business or for somebody else without at least a, you know some power to change things right and you, you, so you're not becoming the bad guy you're actually you're going to be you're going to use your powers for good but you yes. have to claim them and to claim them means cutting loose all of these you know just sort of bindings right from like centuries ago that's exactly it yeah it's pretty amazing so tell me a bit about the conscious communicator and, and what you do yeah, so the Conscious Communicator um, is all about changing the way that we communicate. Um, you know, for me, it's like working in PR and corporate communications for like 50 years is really all about the putting words together and um, it was all about the dressing. And the Conscious Communicator aspect of this is really looking at the foundation of how we communicate. And um, I, I, you know, I love, I love words and I love great speakers who put them together very well. Um, or I love reading a great, you know, article or, or news release or whatever it might be. But what really gets me is um, looking at those, those foundational pieces like um, these belief systems and how they feed how we show up when we communicate. Um, our values and how they show up when we communicate. Um, our... Um, family patterns of communication have a really, really big impact um, on how we communicate today. So, you know, what we saw from ages zero to seven um, within our families or how we might, be, might have been told we're allowed to speak or not speak up, mm -hmm. um, show up today. Yeah. And they're either helping us or most of the time hindering us from really, um, you know, being ourselves in our businesses or workplaces or in our relationships and whatnot. So the conscious communicator is helping people to look at all of those aspects and um, helping them to release the pieces that are not working for them or not helping them to create the life that they want to. Um, and then um, creating a more strong, solid foundation that will help them be um, empowered communicators who own the power of their voice um, and speak their truth powerfully. Who are your... Um the most desired clientele? Like who do you serve the most? I work mainly with female entrepreneurs um, and uh, mission-driven, purpose-driven entrepreneurs who have, um, you know, real mission to make a big and positive difference, whether in a community or um, in an industry. And they're finding themselves really holding back from speaking up or, you know, standing in their worth and asking for what they're worth, um, being afraid to stand in front of a room and give a presentation. And so when I'm working with those women, it's really awesome because they're diving into so much they didn't even realize they needed to dive into, but they're also um, transforming how they're showing up in their business and the impact that they're making. 
in, in, in their communities. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, all right, Fazina, we're, we're at time. So thank you so much for uh, taking the time to chat today. Where can people find you to learn more about you? Um, so, uh, first of all, thank you, Jody, for this opportunity. It's been fantastic um, continuing this conversation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. And if, um, if, you know, if people want to connect with me more or further, um, you know, I'm online with consciouscommunicator.ca. And I'm also on Instagram um, at the Conscious Communicator. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook. Um, if you do search for the Conscious Communicator, I'll be there as well. Wonderful. Fazina, thank you very much. Thank you, Jody. And that's it for this episode of the Ghostwriter and Pub Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to be a guest, or just have any comments or anything at all you'd like to know about our little pod and anything that I do, please send me an email at jody, J-O-D-Y, at jodyaberdeen.com. You can also follow along the Ghostwriter and Pup Facebook page. You can just search us that way, as well as on various platforms. And thanks, as always, to Anchor.fm for hosting. I'm Jody Aberdeen. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And have a wonderful, wonderful day.